What's up, Mom Spaghetti listeners? I featured my favorite songs from DJ Duo Two Friends on episode 30, Raid Prep, and I'm playing their most recent hit, Dollar Menu, under me now. Two Friends has been moving up steadily in the EDM and DJ scene for many years now, and Eli was nice enough to set aside some time to talk with me about some of his and Matt's history. I snuck a decent amount of snippets from our conversation into episode 30, and since you're already here, you know this is the full interview. Eli and Matt have a cool story, and Eli expressed a lot of gratitude to what's gotten them to this point. I certainly expect Two Friends to keep riding the wave, and while we wait for more music, here's the full interview with Eli from Two Friends. Hey Eli from Two Friends, what's going on? How's it going, Keith? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for joining the Mom Spaghetti Podcast. We had a blast at your show on Friday night in Atlantic City. Thank you for putting that on. It was a great show. Thank you. Appreciate that. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. For those people who aren't too familiar with Two Friends, I wanted to find out, I know you and Matt have been friends since middle or high school. Can you talk a little bit about how Two Friends originated and how you guys met? Yeah. So, yeah, like you said, we met in middle school in seventh grade in Los Angeles. I was born and raised here. Matt came over in like fourth or fifth grade and we went to school together starting in seventh grade. We became best friends pretty much right away. So we actually, like, we knew each other for, we didn't really start music stuff together until the very end of high school. So most of growing up together was just hanging out, you know, normal stuff. And then at the very end of high school, it was kind of, you know, sports were over. We were looking for, like, a new hobby to mess around with. We both had kind of various backgrounds and interests in music. And so we kind of just started on a whim. Just I was at his house one day. We went on Google, typed in best music software, decided on Pro Tools, bought it, and just kind of started messing around, not really knowing exactly what we wanted to do. We kind of were jumping around between different genres and did some like hip-hop production, and then kind of at that time, just sort of naturally, was when we also just started becoming fans of electronic music. Um, We had been to a couple music festivals and seen a bunch of shows, and so then we kind of made the switch to go, at that time we were still doing like hip-hop beats, and we were kind of finding that we weren't having too much success we couldn't really control our own path as much where you know we'd make a beat and then it'd be up to us to like find a rapper and then it's up to the rapper to make it a good song versus part of what the appeal of dance music was was we could be involved in the whole thing because you know we also we enjoy songwriting so we could write a song then find someone we want to record it then do all the production and it's we release it right and so it kind of just you know we split off for college but we were just always in communication and sending stuff back and forth and getting some early releases out there. Yeah, that just kind of was the very beginning of Two Friends. Cool. Now, did you or Matt play instruments in middle or high school? And was that something that both of you were aware of? Or was that more yeah, so like behind each other's backs almost? Matt definitely did it a little more seriously. He played guitar. He's very talented at guitar. And we use, he records guitar for the majority of her songs for sure and he was also in like the concert singer choir i had done like a tiny i played clarinet in the middle school band but then i quickly gave that up but yeah i mean we kind of and we both knew each other's strengths and we we knew like i i think i was a little earlier to the table for like getting into the world of dance music and starting to dj a little bit and making mashups and then matt you know i i knew i kind of we could both benefit from working together and you know we're best friends so like why not have a great time while we're doing it 
And so I think it just was pretty obvious of, hey, like, we both like music. This could be fun. We have no expectations, no pressure. You know, it's basically just like, I'm sure a lot of people have the experience of opening up GarageBand on a Mac and just making a little beat using some loops. In high school, we were doing that, and then we would write funny raps, and then, you know, it was kind of just the next progression of like, all right, let's mess around more. And then you start to like realize, oh, okay, like, wow, like, not only is this really fun, but somehow we could actually turn this into a career if we really take it seriously. And you guys did, so props to you. And I know a lot of the artists that I've talked to have talked about that weird moment of embarking on the journey where you didn't know it at the time, but that was a fork in the road and you took that fork. 100%. Now you're so far down the road that, you know, if there are alternate realities, it's just unfathomable to think about what would have happened if you didn't start at that time. But I know I and a lot of our listeners are glad that you did. 100%. I think sometimes it's also hard, you know, you're in the daily grind so much that, yeah, it's it's fun and cool to look back and think like, wow, like four years ago or five years, whenever it was, we were in the trenches dreaming about that we could be traveling on the weekends. And now it's cool to see like you put in the hours and you will see results. It's a, you know, it it can be a slow, slow grind for sure a lot of the time, but you just kind of have to have like a long-term vision and realize the hours you put in at the start, even if you're not seeing like immediate payoff, that's really what's going to like build the foundation and kind of set you up for later. Right. I think of a lot of times there's a line in a big Sean song where he said, it took me 10 years to be an overnight like success. Now. And then they say it happened for me overnight. Shit, yeah, I guess. I guess it took 10 years for me to be an overnight success. Because yep, that, every, yeah, love no, that. yeah, all the fans who aren't following from the beginning, when you just pop up, they say, oh, wow, these guys came out of nowhere. But no, we've been putting in the work. Yeah, that's great. When we talk about that fork in the road, I know one of my favorite questions to find out is, do you remember the first song that you wrote? And I don't know if it was with Matt or if it was just you, Eli. Yeah, first song I ever wrote was probably some comedy joke song for like an extra credit history class. But the first song as two friends, our first original song was one called Solitaire. And Matt wrote pretty much all of it. And that was an eye-opening experience to me because that kind of like, up until then, I wasn't as familiar with kind of the whole songwriting world. And I knew that it was very common in the dance world and the DJ world that you can get sent a top line, an already finished top line. A singer wrote it, they cut it, and it's basically just like, okay, you have the acapella vocal track now produce a song around it and it's you obviously have a major part in curating and finding a song that's meaningful to you and you think would do well but that's kind of just what I thought was out there that you know someone sent you a song and if you like it you use it and Mac made me realize there's no rules no one's stopping us if we have something to say and we think we could write something cool no one's stopping us from just doing it and so Solitaire was the first song where he just wrote a song and we released it and then ever since then it's been a really fun and rewarding part of the process whether it's just me and Matt or whether we have the singer often there to co-write with us as well. Yeah, that one was called Solitaire, and it's probably still somewhere out there on YouTube. We got our friend from high school, Katie Perlman, who we've done a couple other songs with. We just hit her up and asked if she wanted to be a part of it, and then it was also sort of like a duet, so Matt had another friend from college, and yeah, it was very, like, do-it-yourself. And again, that's kind of what what was very uh, appealing to us and, you know, such low barriers to entry. There was no label backing us, no managers putting the pieces together. It was just like, all right, we know this girl from high school. She can sing. Let's hit her up. We know this guy (laughs) from college. He can sing. Let's hit him up. Matt wrote this idea for a song. Cool. Let's do it. Let's record some guitar. Why not? And then, boom, you know, you have a song and you 
put it on iTunes and SoundCloud and Spotify. And that's kind of what was so cool about it to us. Right. And it's so cool when you look back and you think at the time we didn't know it was so easy, but all the pieces just fell into place. And from then on, that's like the starting point. Now, I know you mentioned top line and I just uh, want to elaborate for the listeners. You're referring to the vocals and the lyrics. Yeah. So like a lot of times songwriters will, you know, just have huge catalogs or playlists of demos where it's basically just like a very simple chord progression could just literally just be piano chords. Sometimes it could be a little more produced out of a instrumental, but they're really using it to show off the top line, which is essentially the vocal. They wrote the lyrics, they came up with melodies and they recorded something. A lot of times producers, especially in dance music, can get that top line, you know, then the singer's involved in the song and they'll, of course, be credited and get paid. And then the producer can take that top line and, you know. Right. Make it the song that it becomes. If it's like a big dance song, they'll add buildups and drops. And a lot of times that's what will happen when you see a big song featuring X, Y, and Z. Like X, Y, and Z may have that. And this is, by the way, this is not always the case, but X, Y, and Z may have written that song, approached this. Somehow that song got sent around and, you know, a big producer heard it and said, oh, I want to do a song on that. And then they collaborate. Right. Now, when you and Matt are creating a song, do you guys have a formula where generally you start out and might write some lyrics and then go about recruiting an artist? Or is it a little bit different for each song that comes to be? Yeah, I think it's definitely a little bit different for each song. There's certain ones that happen probably a little more often, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of options. It could be that there's a simple phrase, a one sentence phrase, and someone says it and then you're like, wait, say that again. And then boom, you know, you want that as a title of a song and you want to flesh it out and write a hook over just some basic maybe a basic guitar lick or a basic piano chord progression, and you can kind of flesh it out from there. Other times, it's the opposite. It starts more on the instrument side, and like I said, Matt plays guitar, so maybe he's just messing around, and there's a really cool melody on guitar, and that kind of becomes the skeleton of a song, and you build around then. A lot of times, there'll be a singer that we just want to work with, whether it was someone sent it to us as like a demo, or we're just shuffling through Spotify, and you hear someone, and you're like, you write their name down, and then we have no no plans for what the song is going to be. We've heard their voice and we know that we think there's potential. They can come over to the studio and we don't really have a game plan of like, you know, we know exactly what we want to work on. They'll just come over. We'll sit around and say, what do we want to talk about? What do we want to sing about? And it could start out even as just gibberish with just la la la, but it's a cool melody. And then we start to place words on it. There's a lot of different ways it can happen. And some of them are a little more like formulaic versus... Of course just more like go with the flow but you know i think there's a happy medium between making sure there's some structure to it and following certain processes that we've had success with but then also you know if you're feeling something and it feels great and it's going to sound good we try not to overthink too much about oh is this the right tempo is this the right structure like at the end of the day if it sounds good it sounds catchy it's, it's somewhat unique and memorable like just go for it sure You mentioned finding artists, whether you're shuffling through Spotify or anything like that and recognizing vocals that you think, oh, that would be a great addition to our production. If there's one artist that you could work with and you look at them and say, if we got to work with them and put out a song with this particular artist, I would say we've made it. That's sort of my dream come true. Do you have an artist or maybe even two or three like that? Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch. And, you know, a lot of them would also be the same answer to the question about who are some of our early inspirations and who do we listen to growing up. I think it all kind of melts into our dream collaborators. Of course. Blink-182 would be one of them. Well, you guys have that I Miss You remix. 
Yeah, Ed Sheeran, just he's obviously insanely talented. And let's see, Eminem, that would be like a weird one. I don't know what the song would look like, but like that's just someone who I listened to all the time growing up. Same. That's where I got Mom's Spaghetti from. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> let's see, who else? There's a ton. But, you know, anyone that was ever on our iPods growing up, it would be pretty surreal to realize we can actually work with them creatively. And it's funny that you mentioned Ed Sheeran because as I was thinking, this is the next question I'm going to ask, I was thinking to myself that Ed Sheeran would sound great on a track with you guys. I do too. I mean, I think he'll sound great on anyone's track, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, his songwriting is amazing and his voice is insane. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of answers. One of the songs that caught my attention, I've always been a huge fan of Out of Love. I loved when you guys played it on Friday night, and I also thought it was amazing when you brought out the saxophonist and gave him the shout out. That was fantastic. I don't know who he was and if he works with you guys, but I wanted to bring up Out of Love, not just because I love the sax and that song, but also because I didn't even put two and two together until earlier today when I was looking and I saw Cosmos and Creature was the feature, and I realized that that's Eminate, formerly Brandon Burnett and yeah. Molly Moore, and yeah. I did an interview with Eminate. So I love his oh, no music. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to find out how did you guys meet up with Cosmos and Creature? I know they're out in L.A., but I would love yeah. to hear more about how that track came to be. Yeah. Oh, no, I love telling the story of this song. because This one was one of uh, any song we've ever had. One of the most just like pain-free smooth not i mean obviously there's always bumps in the road but like of any song relatively smooth sailing and fun throughout it started by us doing a remix for a song by vice tone called bright side that they are also featured on and so we did a remix and you know obviously we're using their vocals the whole time then we hit up our managers or hit up someone and you know we're like oh by the way who are these people they're great be cool to do something ourselves with them and got connected with them they're in la we went over to their place in la probably i don't know at this point two or three years ago yeah definitely more than two so three years ago yeah i think this song is from 2017 there you go yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i think no that sounds right yeah i think it was february 2017 so yeah we went over i guess in 2016 went over to their place we had this idea for the guitar lick i think we posted it somewhere on social media a while ago we have a voice memo of Matt in the basement studio just with the guitar messing around. It's really cool. You kind of just hear him going through certain things and then like a light bulb goes off and you could tell he got like part of the main lick that we use in Out of Love. And then he kind of like messes with it and tweaks it and then gets it and locks it in and keeps playing it over and over. So that's kind of a cool look into like how a part of a song can come. So we had that. We brought that over. And then, yeah, we were at their place all day collaborating, all four of us working on the song. And then we wrote it and recorded it in just that one day. And then the rest of the time was us in the studio producing it out. And we had most of it. And then we were kind of just messing around thinking, you know, is there one thing we can do to take this over the top? We had a cool melody. And then we thought, what if instead of doing you know a virtual lead sound getting a saxophonist to play that melody at this point we have a ton of saxophonists that we work with that we could hit up any day but back then we hadn't had much experience so i literally went on google los angeles area saxophonist hit the first result which was like a wedding database for <laughs> saxophonists and i hit up this guy and was just like hey like i don't know if you really ever do this but uh you know we have a song we have the melody but there's also going to be a solo section so yes he's like a funny He's like 65 years old, and I don't think he really even cared what it was for. He just was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Sent it back, and it was actually amazing. It is amazing. We've used him for a couple other songs, but 
he's actually has no interest in performing with us. So what you mentioned, the dude in Atlantic City, his name is Nas, and he's sort of like our East Coast dude we use in Philly and Atlantic City. At this point, it's kind of cool. We have like a little network of saxophonists all over the country that we'll bring out to our shows and we'll play along to a few of our songs. I joke on the podcast that I'm a sax addict. (laughs) (laughs) I love that one and the sax in it is great. And I know I was amazed and very happy that you brought out a real saxophonist to play that solo. It was great. Thank you. Yeah. It was a great addition. Yeah. A couple years ago, we did it once at one of our big LA shows we had. We kind of did that as like a special surprise and we realized, you know, why not just do it at every show? And at this point, it's pretty funny. Like pretty much every major city in America, we have a dude that we've worked with that we just hit up and we said, hey, we're coming in a couple of weeks. You want to hop on again? And they know the music at this point, And it's really fun to bring them out. You've got the connect. <laughs> yeah. So Eli, I wanted to make one more comment before switching gears, and that was just making something full circle, which you had mentioned earlier, and that was talking about how one line that someone says can just become part of the song, and you say, that's it. And when I was talking to Emanate, he mentioned that Molly, his girlfriend, while he was making dinner, came in and was dancing with the dog and just started singing, like, I love you. And he said, wait, come back. That's the line for a hook. And now it's one of the songs from his EP, Grateful. And I just thought that was such a cool story that I guess reflects what you were saying earlier, that even just in conversation, something can come up and the light bulb just goes off in your head and you say, wait, wait, write that down. (laughs) I think that is a skill you sort of subconsciously develop when you do more and more songwriting. It's just there's certain real life sentences or phrases that you hear. You know, it could be on in a TV show or on a billboard and then you're like, huh, say that again or could that be cool? And then, you know, you you might think you kind of flip it on its head and think a little bit twist that you could add to it. And then all of a sudden you've done the meat and now you just can tell a cool story to finish it off. Yeah. And Eli, I did want to transition. I know a lot of the Mom Spaghetti subscribers and listeners love the two friends' big booty mixes. And some of them wanted to make sure that I asked you how those came about. What was the inspiration? I used to love Girl Talk, so I didn't know if that was something that was involved in you guys doing the big booty mixes. Yeah, well, I was a huge Girl Talk fan as well. I remember at Coachella seeing him way back. Like, I was too young. I went to Coachella when I was 13 years old, kind of by accident. My friend's mom took us, and Girl Talk was there. And it was just absolutely nuts. That definitely was subconsciously something that made me realize that would be very fun to do. But I think I mentioned this, how just throughout high school, I was messing around with mashups. And then when we started Two Friends, we were trying to see, like, maybe we don't want to be full-on mashup artist, but maybe there's a way to still incorporate it. That's kind of what sparked the idea for the Big Booty Mixes was maybe because we're producing dance music and we're kind of getting introduced into the dance scene where 60-minute mixes were relatively popular, why don't we kind of use that format of a DJ set, essentially, 60-minute mix that you could throw on at a party or at a bar or while you work out, whatever, something just continuous and fill it up with some mashups. That's kind of how they started, and then they kind of just evolved, and people reacted well, and then we took it upon ourselves to polish them up a little bit and see if we could throw in more and more songs in there and make it like a lot of throwbacks and sing-alongs, and I think we really saw them take off with colleges, and at this point, yeah, I think it's just, it's a cool another piece of the pie where we never want to be too pigeonholed and boxed into one category. It's really cool to be able to do original music and remixes and these big booty mixes. And we do our own essentially podcast, the Friendly Sessions mixes. Yep. 
even like the social media funny video stuff. I will say like if music stuff had not panned out, I think Matt and I both would end up doing some sort of like entrepreneurial type stuff. And I think this is a cool sort of mix. You know, you don't really think about it like that, but it's cool to kind of be involved with so many facets of two friends stuff. It really is, though. And I think that's one of the aspects of our culture and our society that's so amazing now with the advent of the Internet. There are so many ways for artists to share themselves and share what they're doing. And like you said, not get pigeonholed, whether it's doing a TikTok or an Instagram video of them doing a 60 second cover of a song that we all know and like or like you guys doing the podcast or the big booty mixes. It's a great way to keep in touch with the fans, stay true to your roots, and just be doing a lot of different things to engage a wider audience than you would if you were only producing songs like Emily and Out of Love. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, there are two sides of the coin and I can understand both sides where sometimes it can be overwhelming, especially if you're by yourself. Like we consider ourselves lucky that there's two of us that we can kind of use each other to juggle all the various things. Yeah, you know, it could get overwhelming if you're by yourself and you're thinking about the touring side and the producing side and want to stay relevant on social media and need to be networking. There is a lot. But if you can turn those into positives and get excited about that, it goes back to what I was saying. There's no rules. No one's telling you how to do it or what you can or can't do. So I think that there's an exciting part of that where it's like, if you want to, you know, we didn't really ever do this, but like, if you want to be a funny guy in Vine while also doing it, like, go for it. You know, if you want to collaborate with this person, go for it. If you want your brand to be less silly and more artsy and deeper, then go for that. So I think if you're able to look at that as an exciting opportunity, I think that's how you can kind of manage it a little better. Agreed. Sort of stemming off of the big booty mixes, I know that embedded in them are the mashups, like you said. I was curious, Eli, if you have a favorite remix that you guys have done. I know the Mr. Brightside and the I Miss You remix are probably the two most popular. I wasn't sure if either of those is your favorite or if you have a different one. Those are definitely the ones that I think have, just because the songs themselves are so iconic that they're kind of able to withstand the test of time. It's not like it was a pop song that had its moment and now it's gone and people don't really care. You know, those ones are going to be forever throwback, you know, nostalgic songs. iconic is definitely the word. So I think those at shows are always really special and get a great reaction. For those, we tried our best to not, you know, there's a reason they are iconic. Those are tricky because there's going to be haters no matter what that don't want you to mess around and manipulate a song that they already love. So I think, you know, you just want to find a balance of keeping aspects of it that caused it to be so iconic and then putting your own little fresh twist on it, giving it a new context. So those are really fun. Favorite remix ever, though? Yeah, I'd probably say one of those two. Okay. I know that those aren't on Spotify. Do you know if there are any plans to get those up there or are they just for SoundCloud? It's a little tricky with copyright stuff. I know Blink-182 apparently was open to it, but they were going through some legal stuff with the band members. I guess they were dealing with enough internal issues that the last thing on their mind was getting lawyers involved to deal with making a remix official. So, you know, at this point, they're kind of just bootleg remixes that we could keep on SoundCloud and YouTube and people play them at parties and stuff. That's always a tricky game to play with the whole copyright. The copyright issues. Yep. Before I start to close out, because I know we don't have much time left, I did want to make one comment that when I was doing some reading on some other interviews that had been done before, I saw you guys were big GameCube guys, and then I wasn't going to bring it up, but then one of you said that the best game or one of your favorite games was SSX Tricky. Yeah, that was me. And I was like, 
Okay. I was like, oh man, I used to love that game. I know I still have it in my parents' basement. I still have it in my main apartment. I'm, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I just, I'm that weird guy that never really graduated after the GameCube and early Xbox era. So I still have not got on like the Fortnite thing. I'm still just playing the classic SSX Tricky and Mario Kart Double Dash and Oh, those are amazing. And yep. NBA 2K every now and then, but um, love me some good N64 or GameCube. I was going to say, I don't have the GameCube up here, but I do have the N64. Yeah. And we break that out pretty frequently because like you, I am stuck in the 90s and yeah. early 2000s. Yeah. I did want to make sure I got to ask you the signature question for Mom Spaghetti that I'll play at the end of the episode with your interview featured, Eli, is if someone bought you a vinyl record player and as part of the gift gave you enough cash to buy your first five vinyl records, which are any albums from any date, they could even be from this year. A lot of times they're some of the most impactful albums for inspiration and things like that. But I wanted to find out if you had this gift and this opportunity, what would be the first five records that you would go out and purchase for your brand new vinyl player? Yes. So I definitely have, I need to think on the last one still, but I'd say, and these are going to be very random. And these are also going to be ones that I can't speak on Matt's behalf. I'm just kind of thinking of this at a personal angle, not really in the context of two friends albums. Of course, this is all you. Okay, yeah. cool. So I'd say one of them has got to be Elton John. And I, it's kind of a cop-out, but I think it was just his greatest hits album because my mom used to play them in the car all the time on the way to school. And I now love Elton John. I actually just saw the Rocky Man movie the other night and had a good time. But yeah, so that Elton John greatest hits album, just because you can sing along to all those songs. It's not a cop-out. You're not the first person to say a greatest hits okay, album. Okay, good, good. Because <laughs> I don't want, I actually probably don't even, I'm not even educated enough to know which songs are on which of his albums, so I'm just going to say all the best ones. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know I touched on Eminem, so I'll say Eminem Show. Yes, that's in my top five. That's just like a nostalgic one. I was probably in like fourth or fifth grade or sixth grade around that time. So that was another one always listening to on the way to school. Now, I'm going to change your question up a little. These aren't going to be vinyl. These are going to be like CDs that I put in my CD-ROM player in my car on the way to school. Is that okay? Go for it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, yes, yeah, so I got Elton John. I got Eminem. For a dance one, maybe like Worlds, Porter Robinson. I definitely haven't listened to it as much as the other ones where, like, you know, it's not like one I would have on repeat all the time. But I just think that was so inspiring to see him kind of switch up so much from what he had become and had success as and kind of just do a little pivot. And then the new live show was absolutely insane. And I know Matt will always talk about that Porter Robinson World show as one of his favorite live shows he's ever seen. That one is just good for dance music as a whole, just pushing the envelope and opening more doors. This is another similar one to Elton John, but same thing, the Beatles. Beatles one, the greatest hits one, that red and yellow CD. Another one that my parents would always have on in the car. And whether it's obvious or not, definitely had some influences on me liking music in general. Yep, I appreciate that because I think for me, I would include Abbey Road in my five because I feel like no vinyl collection is complete without at least one Beatles vinyl. Yeah. And I know I sound like such a on the surface by giving two greatest hits albums, but you know what? I'm not going to apologize. I <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> and 
So I guess, yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's really tough now to think of like, I want to do one that's a little more current, but just because of the way the music landscape has changed, I can't say there's actually too many album albums that I've really listened to all the way through more than once, you know, and have become very meaningful just because a lot of music is now singles based or playlist based or small EPs. So trying to think of a good one. Maybe I'll go with Avicii, one of his, I think one was True and one was Story. True. Yeah, I think he was definitely one of the biggest, if not the biggest, inspirations for us getting started. Kind of what I alluded to, that transition between making hip-hop beats and not really know what we were doing, to really zoning in and obsessing about dance music. He was one of the main people around that time, which is like the end of our high school, so around 2011. And he was blowing up, and he had so many classic songs, and I think he was just such an inspiration musically and just also, you know, he was so young, so like just being a guy, obviously it's a little different in Europe, just how people blow up there versus here, but still, just seeing someone so young, realizing that it's not necessarily as impossible as it first seemed. Yeah, it feels like it sort of started out with Swedish House Mafia somewhere along that line, and then Avicii really brought electronic dance music to the forefront and the focus of the pop world and our music culture as a whole. Definitely. Yeah, I think it was an exciting time. David Guetta was part of that, too, where there was a lot of... Oh, definitely. You know, just getting it to be less of like an underground... You know, obviously, dance music has its roots as the underground kind of counterculture, and then seeing it blossom into just less and less division between that and pop music. And I think that was big for not only getting people involved as producers, that was the outcome for sure, but I think giving us more of an audience and really allow it, like honestly, you know, allowing our career to be even possible where now, you know, there's so many more festivals and events and nightclubs and colleges that want dance music. So I think that was a huge historical thing in the context of dance music history. That was like a very important moment. Completely agree. All right, Eli, I know you have to run, so only two things left, one of which is like 10 seconds, and then I'll let you say anything if there's anything the fans should be looking out for. But the first thing is, if you could just help me close out the episode that I'll drop next Thursday and just say something along the lines of, this is Eli from Two Friends. Thanks for listening to Mom's Spaghetti Podcast, where everyone eats. Yes. This is Eli from Two Friends. Thanks for listening to Mom's Spaghetti Podcast, where everyone eats. Nice. All right. So I'll turn the floor over to you. If there are things that the fans of Two Friends should be looking out for besides your guys' podcast and the Big Booty Mixes. Let's see. We're working on wrapping up a lot of new music. The next Big Booty Mix, working on that as well. So just stay tuned. If you look up Two Friends on social media, you should be able to find us. We're always traveling and getting on the road, so hopefully we'll see you guys in your cities soon. And thanks again for having us on. Matt gives his regard. Sorry that we couldn't both be on, but thanks for having us. That's all right. Well, I appreciate the time, Eli, and to everyone who listened to the full interview, definitely go see Two Friends when they are in your city. It was a hell of a show. Maybe even some live sacks with their connections that they have across the country. (laughs) Definitely. All right. Well, thanks, Eli. Thanks again, kid. Thanks for tuning in, fans of Mom Spaghetti and two friends alike. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Eli as much as I did. Remember, new episodes of Mom Spaghetti drop every Thursday, so I'll be back then. As for Eli and Matt, we'll keep our eyes and ears open for more music coming soon. I'll repeat my endorsement to check them out live when they're in your city next. Until then, we have plenty of music from two friends and their big booty mixes to hold us over. I'm Keith Cohen, your host of the Mom Spaghetti Podcast. One more huge shout out and thank you to Eli from Two Friends and of course to you, the listeners. 